0: Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Rachel's Political Retorts, a podcast dedicated to presenting listeners with a thorough, yet simplified analysis of the complex issues that our country currently faces. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the changing tides of the criminal justice system in our country. This is a reform movement that has been led in a response to the strict drug laws in the United States. These drug laws have led to a rise of people currently serving prison terms today, of which people of color are disproportionately represented compared to their white counterparts. So the question for listeners today is this. Should the government be taking steps to reduce the United States prison population by changing sentencing practices for nonviolent offenses? The United States of America accounts for 5% of the world's total population, yet 25% of the world's incarcerated people. The war on drugs was a response to the growing drug epidemic of the 1970s. People were afraid of drugs and the potential impact that they would have on their local communities. People were looking for a candidate that would be tough on crime. Richard Nixon fit right into the fear of millions of Americans. Nixon's tough stance on crime contributed to his crushing defeat of Democratic presidential candidate George McGovern in 1972. The Nixon administration started this figurative war by increasing the penalties for drug offenses. Future presidents enhanced these penalties over time. President Bill Clinton was instrumental in passing the Three Strikes Crime Bill, a statute that provides mandatory life imprisonment if a convicted felon has been convicted in federal court of a serious violent felony and has two or more previous convictions in federal or state courts, at least one of which is a serious violent felony. This bill, among many others, Is one of the prime sources for the rise of mass incarceration in the United States. Bill Clinton himself even admits that he regrets signing this bill into law because of the role it played in expanding mass incarceration. Clinton is on record saying the problem is the way it was written and implemented. We cast too wide a net and we had put too many people in prison and we wound up putting so many people in prison that there wasn't enough money left to educate them, train them for jobs, and increase the chances when they came out so that they could live productive lives. The criminal justice system started to implement mandatory minimum sentencing laws after the war on drugs was declared. Now, these sentencing laws essentially force a judge to hand down a minimum prison sentence based on the charges a prosecutor brings against a defendant, regardless of any extenuating circumstances. As a result, these defendants are usually forced to take the plea out of fear of going to trial and facing a potentially longer prison sentence. Mary Pat Brown, a former federal prosecutor and senior official at the Justice Department stated that, quote, the threats of higher sentencing puts enormous pressure on defendants to plea. So much so that plea agreements, once a choice for defendants to consider, have for all intents and purposes become an offer drug defendants cannot afford to refuse. In fact, only 3% of federal drug defendants actually go to trial, unquote. Now let's think about this scenario. A young, poor African-American man is charged with possession of cocaine. He is charged with possession of an illegal substance with intent to distribute. Let's say that the mandatory minimum sentence is five years and he's facing up to 20 years in prison. Is this man really going to hire an attorney to defend him at his trial? Lawyers are expensive. And the good ones are impossible to afford. Now, let's say he finds the money and he goes to trial. So he's gone through this ordeal of a trial and the jury could still find him guilty. And if he find him guilty, he's going to face likely a maximum prison sentence. So not only just going to trial involve a serious financial commitment, Defendants are taking an extreme risk that could effectively blow up in their face, leaving them with a felony record and drained out of money from their legal fees. These mandatory minimum sentences are the primary factor for the growth in prison populations since the war on crime was declared. Now, these laws effectively take away the power of a judge to account for extenuating circumstances of a crime and the defendant's character when determining what punishment may be just. Legal scholar Michelle Alexander recently wrote a book called The New Jim Crow, which examined the issue of mass incarceration in much fuller depth than I will. But in her book, she recounted times that she was in court And state, federal, and local judges actually started to cry because they were forced to send people to prison despite the extenuating circumstances and difficulties that they endured. These mandatory minimums offer long sentences. The Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986 requires a minimum sentence of five years for drug offenses that involve five grams of crack, 500 grams of cocaine, one kilogram of heroin, 40 grams of a substance with a detectable amount of fentanyl, five grams of methamphetamine, 100 grams, excuse me, 100 kilograms or 100 plants of marijuana, and other drugs. This law also requires a minimum sentencing of 10 years for drug offenses that involve 50 grams of crack, 5 kilograms of cocaine, 1 kilogram of heroin, 400 grams of a substance with a detectable amount of fentanyl, 550 grams of methamphetamine, 1,000 kilograms or 1,000 plants of marijuana, and other drugs. For a simple possession of one of these drugs, individuals would spend a significant portion of their lives in prison and be branded as a felon. All for a non offense. Now, as if all of that wasn't enough, mass incarceration has been conclusively proven to be disproportionately harmful to communities of color. According to the Sentencing Project, people of color make up 37% of all people in the United States, but 67% of the United States prison population. Overall, African-Americans are more likely than white Americans to be arrested. Once arrested, they are more likely to be convicted. And once convicted, they are statistically more likely to face stiff sentences. Black men are six times as likely to be incarcerated as white men and Hispanic men are more than twice as likely to be incarcerated as non-Hispanic white men. According to the American Progress Institute, African-American adults are five times more likely to be imprisoned than white Americans. They are also twice as likely as their white counterparts to have a family member imprisoned at some point during their childhood. With incarceration rates more than 500% higher than they were 40 years ago, Black millennials and post-millennials are at a greater risk of contact with the system than any previous generation. In fact, a recent study determined that one in four Black millennials had incarcerated loved one before they even turned 18 years old. For those born in the early 1990s, the rate is almost one in three. As a result, children are forced to grow up in a home with a missing mother, father, aunt, or uncle. When these individuals are imprisoned, their families do not have adequate financial support. When a child loses their parent or parents to incarceration, that can set up that child for a life of financial hardship and mental health issues. Furthermore, when those who have been convicted of a drug offense are released from prison, It is virtually impossible to find a job. As a result, ex-cons may resort to selling drugs in order to make money. In fact, on average, over a five-year period, 76.6% of released inmates will return to prison. This vicious cycle leads to poverty and struggle in communities of color. Has mass incarceration harmed communities of color and destroyed the lives of many Americans? But the concept of mandatory minimums itself is ineffective at serving its original purpose, which is to stop crime. When one person is arrested for drug possession or selling drugs on the street, they are easily replaced by others seeking an income or struggling from an addiction. Mandatory minimum laws increase the population of prisoners, which costs taxpayers more money, and is ineffective at preventing drug crimes. As a result, these practices are incredibly counterproductive and costly, both in financial terms and on account of the communities and families that have unjustly fallen victim to mass incarceration. Thank you for listening to episode two of Rachel's Political Retorts. Please stay tuned for more episodes that will follow. Thank you for listening.